0: So Money episode six sixty eight, ask Farnoosh, a replay originally airing on February tenth, twenty seventeen.
1: You're listening to So Money with award winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi.
0: Each day, get a thirty minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life. Welcome to So Money. It is the moment you've all been waiting for. Well, maybe not, but hopefully, this gets you excited. Guys, I'm launching a money course in partnership with the very smart people at investopedia.com. I'm launching a major soup to nuts money course that's targeted at young professionals who want to make the most of their money. So do you want to squash those student loans, catch up on savings, earn more money? Maybe buy a house or just negotiate a better lease on your rental. My nine-module money course arrives early January. To be the first to register for the course and receive a special So Money discount, go to SoMoneyCourse.com. Or if you don't want to leave your cell phone right now, just text me: text So money Course. That's one word to four four two two two. That's So Money Course. One word to four four two two two. Hope to see you. Friday, February 10th. Welcome to So Money. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host Farnoush Chirabi. It's Friday, so it's Ask Farnoush time, where we dedicate the show to your questions. And I'm recording this in advance of February 10th. I kind of have to work ahead of schedule these days because I have a visitor coming on March 7th. I'm trying to take the month of March off. I'm trying to go off grid in March. And that's requiring me to work overtime now and to pile up on some interviews and some episodes. So I have no idea what the month of February is really like right now as I'm recording. It's right now still January. And so I just hope that uh, everyone's doing well. Thank you for sticking with the show. And let's invite on our our co-host as usual, Sophia. Welcome to Ask Farnoosh. Hey. Hey. How's it going? Good, good. I You've know. been very lonely in the office. Yeah, it's
2: been it's been lonely, <laughs> but we got a new little space and it's all set up. So can't wait to have you back once you take some time off and enjoy Thanks. some time with the new family.
0: Thank you, thank you. I'm looking forward to my time off. I haven't really been getting out in the world. As far as getting on a subway or even just like walking down the street, I am just really hibernating right now in my apartment. Honestly, though, that's
2: a good thing because February, it's been, we've had so much rain, at least at the, this time now that we're recording in January, I can only imagine what February might be like. It's just the weather has not been, I mean, it's winter. It's not supposed to be great. I know. Well also
0: the world's a scary place right now. <laughs> it is. It's very scary. I want to stay home as much <laughs> as possible. Let's get to our questions. I, I'm happy to say, like last week we had a number of audio questions. You know, people are using the speakpipe widget on so many podcasts.com. And we have one that we have yet to get to. Right, from Jen? Yeah, so let's see what she has to say. Her question is about
2: paying off credit card debt and a car loan and where she should park some of her extra cash. So let's hear what she has to say.
1: Hi, Varnish. I will be done paying off my credit card debt and my car at the end of February. This will leave me with $1,400 a month to put towards savings. My primary saving goals are to save for a down payment on a house and a six-month emergency fund. To give you some background, I currently rent where I live and I have one paycheck saved as my emergency fund. I am a 39-year-old single female, and I live in a moderately priced housing market where I could reasonably get a 10% ten to 20% down payment for a decent house for between 20 to 40 grand. My question is, where is the best place to put this $1,400 a month? Since I'll need this money to be mostly liquid, I know I'm not going to find extremely high-yield investments or saving accounts. So my question is, where is the best place to park this money for the next two to three years?
0: I think the best place, Jen, is to put the money in savings. I think that you'll want to be financially secure before buying a house, not just for your own financial sanity, but realistically, when you're applying for a mortgage, the bank will want to see that you have financial stability, and that includes savings, And the more savings you have, the more likely you will not only get the loan, but that maybe you'll even qualify for a really strong and low interest rate. I think once you have saved enough that you feel comfortable having a six month to nine month savings cushion, where if gosh, if something happens, you can afford your lifestyle for at least six to nine months. Then once that's accomplished, then I would say start saving for the down payment. That's number two. So your own personal savings, rainy day savings priority then you start saving for the down payment, and I think that you know fourteen hundred dollars a month is a lot. So you might get to that goal soon, and you could within this year start doing both of those things. And I hope you do. And when you when you are ready to buy that house, come back and ask us more questions because you know. I love real estate questions, love helping people who want to become homeowners. Not because I'm a necessarily don't like renting. I just think like I've done it so many times now. I have too much information in my head. I need to get it out. <laughs> so good luck, Jen. And let us know how else we can help you down the road. That was a great question. It was. I know it's really exciting to sign into
2: SpeakPipe now and see all of these voicemails building up. It's
0: Hopefully it's encouraging. Yeah. Hopefully it's encouraging listeners. Like it's not that scary guys. Okay. (laughs) It's like, I know it's a little different than writing in a question, but it just brings the show to life. We hear people who listen to the show. It's so cool. But now we're going to go back to some written questions from here. We have a question from Megan who, I took a glimpse at this question. I don't. I'll <laughs> let you read more of it. But she sounds like a super overachiever.
2: I was going to say when I saw this in the mailbag, I was like, "Wow, Megan, I want to be more like you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, to so tell us more about Megan. Okay. So Megan saves and invests fifty-two percent of her paycheck. She keeps her living expenses at about twenty-seven percent, and then the remainder is used to pay for her master's degree that she's currently getting. She'll be done with that this summer, and then it will free up about $2,000 every two months. So she wants to use some of that money to do something fun. She wants to get her private pilot's license, but her parents want her to save and invest it. What do you think?
0: Okay. So as a parent, I'm thinking maybe her parents just don't want her to be flying.
2: (laughs) Like it's just dangerous.
0: Doesn't have anything to do with the money. Just like do anything else, do something else. Don't get up in the air and pretend that, you know, you're going to become a pilot. Although more power to her. That's awesome. Okay. So let's just, let's just break this down for you, for listeners. Okay. She is saving more than half of her paycheck, She's also paying her way through school. I assume with her cash, she doesn't sound like she's going to come out with any debt. She's going to actually save money when she comes out of school. And then she's keeping her living expenses to less than 30%. That's incredible. So that that alone, I'm like, if that's all I heard, I would say time to have fun with your money.
2: Well, I was going to say something that she also mentioned in her question that I didn't mention yet was she says that she has enough savings to last her four years without a job. Okay. What? All right.
0: So let's also let's let's talk about this. So that's amazing. Four years of savings. When we usually, you just heard me talk about like have six to nine months and you'll be good. Four years is almost. You want to make sure that you're not leaving any money that could be invested in a plain vanilla savings account. That's a lot of cash to just have collecting basically zero interest. So what I would say is that if If she wants to invest her money more, and I think Sally Krawcheck would agree with me, you know, she talks about the female investment gap, that it's like the best piece of advice we never get, which is that we should invest early, we should invest often. This idea of hoarding cash for four years, that's a huge accomplishment, but at the same time, I think you're missing out still. You need to take at least half of that, maybe three years of that money, and put it in the market. And let that ride until you're ready to retire. You're going to have more, I would bet, by the end than you would if it was just sitting there. And you don't need savings for four years. I mean, what are you planning on doing? What, you know, I mean, (laughs) maybe if if you plan on buying a home, if you plan on having a family, if you plan on also quitting your job, then maybe you need like, you know, a, a one to two year cushion. But four years is certainly more than enough. So taking at least half of that and putting it in the market will maybe also please her parents because her parents are saying invest more and that's good advice that they're giving her. But I think there's a lot of room here for her to do everything. She can invest more with that four years of savings. She can use that $2,000 every two months or so that she's going to be getting as a result of not having to pay for this degree to do something that is an investment in her. And whether that's flying lessons or cooking classes or traveling or whatever, buying a nice new wardrobe even, hey, That's her prerogative. That's why we work so hard, right? So I would say do it all, Megan. You can. You've worked hard enough. You've saved hard enough to now be able to invest aggressively for your future and also have some fun and, you know, keep status quo with everything else. Good job, Megan. A for the day, A for the (laughs) century. That's amazing. That is amazing. So our next question comes from
2: Elle, and we're going to take a little bit of a different turn. And I feel like you can relate to this, Farnoosh, because recently you've been talking a lot about fees for working with a financial planner But so Elle's question, she's in her late 20s, and she's trying to take advantage of compound interest. But recently, she took a look at those fees associated with her retirement account, and she's wondering if her employer 401k and Roth 401k have these incredibly high expense ratios, what are her non-employer pre-tax and tax retirement options outside of Roth IRAs? She's wondering, should she lower the contributions just to meet the employer match and then move the difference to outside index target funds? She just wants to know what your thoughts are.
0: Yeah, she's good to be investigating this. I investigated this in my own life a couple of years ago after I read Tony Robbins' book about mastering your money. And, you know, I always knew that fees were a part of investing and, you know, funds come with fees. Not all of them, though. And, As much as it's important to diversify your portfolio, to invest early, to invest often, you also want to be very careful about the investment picks that you have. And not all are created equal. You could have two funds that look identical in the sense that they're investing in similar index, similar sectors, similar indices, but one has a huge expense ratio compared to the other. So it would behoove everyone to do this. And thank you for Al, to L Al for kind of reminding us to do this homework, to look at your individual investment picks and to ask your advisor, ask your 401k provider to state, and you, this should, information should be readily available to you, but you know, ask them again to get, provide that for you. What are the fees associated with every single investment? And if you're paying more than 1% in fees for anything, I would say look for an alternative. The ideal investment has zero fees, and there are a lot of index funds, target funds, ETFs that are fee-free, and they're not, unfortunately, the most available in things that like an employer sponsored 401k or a Roth 401k from work, your investment picks that going that route are usually more limited than if you would go outside of that kind of structure. But of course, like she brought up, she has this company match, which is f- more or less free money. So what I would do, L, is if you did discover that your fees are higher than average and you could probably get access to no fee ETFs and target funds elsewhere, I would, like she says, take advantage of these employer-sponsored accounts up to the match. So do as much to get that free money, as much of it as possible. And then with the leftover money that she has, move it over to something like a Roth IRA outside of work, a traditional IRA outside of work, you have options and you can go to any financial institution, pretty much anywhere you can pick and choose from any number of investments, including the ones you've talked about, and you'll have more control over those picks. The tricky thing is, you know, when you have so many different accounts, you can't deduct from your taxes, all this money. Like there is a limit to how much you can actually deduct from your taxes. So you can do that. You can open up a Roth IRA outside of work. You can open up a traditional IRA out of work. And maybe that's where you put your supplemental income to then create your diversified strategy for retirement. But this is the kind of moon, this is good maneuvering. This is smart. And thank you, Elle, for bringing this back to our attention because we sometimes forget it's not just good enough to put your money in an account. It's sometimes that type of account is going to cost you. I mean, fees add up. I, I did the math. This is what really got me off the couch. I basically did the math and discovered that a 0.5 percent difference in expense ratios. I mean, really, how much is that? Really, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars over a 30-year period because that compounds. And you're not just talking about one fund. Maybe you have 20 different funds that all have higher than average expense ratios. That's going to eat up a lot of your gains. So rather than ending up with $500,000 at retirement, maybe it's only $300 or $400,000. It's not sad, you know. I mean, you can know. When you can make the right move now to avoid that. And it's a really simple tweak. You can do it. I did it. It can be done. All right, Holly. Wow, she's got a lot on her plate.
2: Holly is on the fast track to life right now. She's got a lot going (laughs) on. (laughs) So she and her boyfriend are planning on getting married someday, but they're also just about to graduate from college and they have well-paying full-time jobs lined up, which is great to hear. But right when they graduate, they'll each be living at home in different towns for about a year before she plans on moving to where he is. And they want to buy a house, but they aren't sure if they should save up for a wedding and live in an apartment until they save up enough to buy a house or if they should save up for the house and then the wedding.
0: All right. I feel like her life is moving at like a thousand miles per minute. I hope that she's taking time for herself and she's not moving too fast and... She, you know, is just feeling good and right about all this. And if not, slow down, take it one step at a time. When I was graduating school, I thought it was enough just to be focusing on getting a job, getting married, moving, buying a house was not in the picture yet. And I just think, you know, you got to let your life breathe a little bit. But that said, her question is really about prioritizing how to save. I think that, you know, in the future, they've got the wedding, they want to buy a house. That's great but what about your personal savings? I think for the, for really the foundation of your marriage to be solid, your financial foundation, you each want to come to the table with strong personal savings. That's not necessarily going to be depleted for a wedding, depleted for a house, but it's just there for your own financial security. So if one of you loses a job, you can still be comfortably living and it won't impact your You know, just your mood and your relationship, because I know that money can be a real stress on relationships when there's not enough of it. But taking care of yourself first, it's like put on your oxygen mask before helping someone else, before putting on another person's oxygen mask. Just make sure that you're financially equipped in terms of your rainy day savings, six to nine months, you've got that stored away. Then part two, is I would say saving up for the house. I know you're not married yet. You're probably not even engaged yet. Why are you putting, you know, what is the expression? The horse before the cart? Something like that. Okay. (laughs) Or the cart before the horse. Forgive me. You get the picture. So I think that the reason I say this, house before wedding, is because uh, I just feel like a house is more of a substantial purchase. A wedding is one day and... You're going to be happier. Just trust me on this. You're going to be happier knowing that you can buy the home of your dreams as opposed to having the wedding of your dreams. You know, there are a lot of ways that you can save up for a wedding. You can have people pitch in. You can save in a number of ways. But a home, to some extent, is going to require a lot of money that will just, you'll be happier that you started saving for it sooner than later you'll have more options to choose from. And a home is something that if you're planning on to have this home for a while, you want to love this home. You know, you don't want to feel like you had to, you were forced into this house because it's all you could afford. And so the other thing that it does is that it kind of, it forces you to now have a more realistic budget for the wedding. Because here's the thing, when you're just planning for a wedding, you will end up spending more than you initially thought because the industry pushes your buttons. And I've been through it. They know exactly what buttons to press. It's your most special day. You will feel emotionally driven to make all these irrational choices that um, are going to cost money. But when you've saved up for that house, whatever money's left, that's your money for the wedding. And that's it. And it's kind of nice to know what your limits are as opposed to, you know, and then you just have an excuse. Well, I can't buy that. I can't get the swans because I'm buying a house. That's a good excuse. <laughs> so that's how I would, And that actually was how we did it in our marriage. You know, Tim and I, when we got engaged, we bought a house first or rather an apartment. And that we just knew like, okay, well, we felt better. We were like, okay, we have that figured out. We are in the house that we want to be in for many years. And so now we could plan and pay for the wedding with more certainty. So that's what I would say to Holly. What do you think, Sophia? I mean, you've been to a lot of weddings and you're in that wedding um, decade of people getting married a lot in their 20s. It's ideal if you can do it all at once, but if you are planning ahead and you need to save appropriately, it's got to start with you, then the house, then the wedding. That's Def- how I see it. Definitely. Well, two
2: things. One is I just recently watched, I hadn't seen it since I was a little girl, Father of the Bride. And when you mentioned the swans, it made me think of that because they really do. Wedding planners try to get you on everything. So I think it's smart to, you know, go with a bigger purchase. Obviously, I would love to have a wedding one day and have a nice wedding, but I think at the end of the day to have a dream home where you can create even more memories over the course of many years or even just a couple of years if it's just a starter home. I think that's so much more to me that's more exciting. Obviously, everyone's different. I will say I wasn't the little girl who dreamed of her wedding day. Like I, you know, there's <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely you know, I'm not traditional in that sense, but I think that if you're going to spend a large sum of money, better be on, on a on a home where you can start your future with someone, in my opinion.
0: I agree. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. I dreamt of walk-in closets. I did not dream <laughs> of <laughs> I did not dream of wedding cakes and wedding gowns, but like you said, it's to each their own, but still, I think you can be smart about it. You can still have the wedding of your dreams, but just, I would say, prioritize your finances by, by putting more towards the house. A house probably will end up costing you more in the long run anyway. So the earlier you get started on that, the better. And by the way, some people rather than registering for rather than oh, registering for <laughs> like vases and gravy dishes and whatever they're called for their weddings, salad bowls, they will register for a house. And you can do that. There are sites out there that can help you register for like your honeymoon or your your home. And so some people might think that's tacky. I don't. I think it's fabulous. That's so cool. So look into that as well as an option to help you afford the home of your dreams. Okay, last but not least, Sarah has a question about auto insurance. Yeah, so her auto
2: insurance deductible is $500 and she has an emergency fund, no accident history, knock on wood. And she's 27 and she commutes a half hour to and from work every day. So she's wondering if maybe she should increase her deductible to $1,000 a month. She's not sure if it if it's worth it.
0: Yeah. I think if she can afford to pay up to a thousand dollars out of pocket in case she gets an offender, which hopefully she won't, I think maybe that way. She'll, so when you increase your deductible, you're basically saying to the insurance company, I'm good until this amount of money. You know, That's when the insurance company will step in and cover your costs. Um, as in exchange for that, you'll have to pay a monthly premium. The higher your deductible, the lower your premium. And so she's wondering if she raises her deductible, is that a good idea? Because then she'll basically save more money every month. I think it could be. I mean, if she's got the emergency fund, she's a good driver. P.S. Women tend to be safer drivers for what it's worth. (laughs) Men speed more. They end up in more fatal car crashes. So, she could opt to raise her deductible that could lower her premium, but then that means she's more on the hook if an accident does happen. Another thing to explore, I think, no matter what, and everyone, you know, if you're interested in saving on car insurance, shop around every six months whenever usually your term expires for another plan. There's actually an app that you and I talked about or researched many, many months ago called the Go Car Insurance Savings App. And it's uh, this really quick app. It's free to download, and it helps you shop around for car insurance. The site, the app, estimates that it saves users $342 a year on average. And most of the insurance companies that work with Go will offer new customers a 5% discount just for signing up. So you might, Sarah, be able to keep your your setup in terms of the deductible, but pay less by going someplace else. So it's always a good idea to shop around. In fact, I once interviewed, maybe we should get them on the podcast. I don't know if we did we have them on the show before? The Economides family. They are America's most frugal family. I, I hope they're still around in terms of like promoting their savings tips and they have a book. Their they're actual, their real last name is Economides, which I think in Greek means economy. (laughs) You're our resident Greek expert, but it's just such a, such a fun alignment because their, their whole life and their whole teaching is about, they have like five kids and they've just learned all these ways to make a dollar go very far. And one of the things that they've shared with me in the past is that you should always shop you should always try to renew your insurance policies with someone else or look into it at least because it could save you a lot of money and it doesn't mean changing the policy necessarily or the details but car company, car insurance companies home insurance companies are very competitive and also depending on the car insurance's history of you know having to pay for their customers accidents and things of that nature that impacts what they end up charging people. So it's really has nothing to do with you. Sometimes it's just as far as like, what's the history of this car insurances car insurance companies claims that could impact what they end up charging you. So that's why and sometimes it's very arbitrary how they do it. So it's really good to always shop around. So the go car insurance savings app Is what we'll end on. So we've covered a lot of ground. We did car insurance, taxes, weddings. I guess people are starting to think about weddings and getting married. I mean, it's February. (laughs) It's almost Valentine's Day. When is Valentine's Day? Well, I know when it is, but today is the 10th, so it's in four days. (laughs) I hope Tim remembers. <laughs> he, this is a crazy month for him. He always says, because it's Valentine's Day on the 14th. It's my birthday on the 15th. I'm due on the 7th of March. <laughs> it's and a busy it's, time in your household. He's like, I'm going to have to like take out a small loan <laughs> <laughs> for all to, the like, gifts. for all the gifts way. I had to get you. And I'm just, and at this point, it's almost at the point where I'm like, just don't even get me anything because... I just, I don't even have the bandwidth, the brain bandwidth to think about what I actually want. And, you know, it's nothing, it's nothing that I need. It's, it's more just like a frivolous want at this point, but I'm just such a giant pregnant woman right now. Like I don't fantasize about clothing. I don't (laughs) fantasize about like anything. No, I just want to like get this baby out of me and (laughs) we can revisit in like six months when I've done all my neurotic workouts and cleanses. And, but you know what I mean? Pregnant moms. (laughs) We've all been there. We're going to hit a low point. I'm going to hit a low point in about three months, six months (laughs) when I can't fit I'm still wearing my pregnancy jeans. It's going to (laughs) happen. And you'll be there to witness it. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And I wish you all a great weekend. See you back here on Monday. We have Erica Keswin. She's a career expert. She launched a company called the spaghetti project, which is really helping companies and employers and employees learn how to work smarter and work better together at work. Imagine that because we're all working remotely, right? Like you and me and Sophia, like I haven't seen you in six years. (laughs) Not really, but you know what I mean? Stay tuned, have a good weekend. And I hope your weekend is so money.